0: new, 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 new. We like new, don't we? Latest and greatest. Um, new, maybe it's a, a new hairstyle, maybe it's a new hobby, maybe it's a new car. You know, there's something unique as I was looking at uh, studying this passage, um, and we're, I was reading about passages. Who, who talked about that unique thing that is new about a car, that new car smell. Maybe you've gotten to experience it. Um, Pastor Greg, Greg Laurie out in California says that he had a friend that he would, had a new car and he was riding it and you know when you have a new car. It's like, I sw- solemnly swear I will not eat in this car for like three years. And Pastor Greg was like, I'll help him break this thing in and i leave a burrito underneath his seat for about a month and uh, we'll see how that goes. Marketers have been told they can... Simply put, slap the word new on a package, even if nothing else changes, and instantly be able to sell more of whatever widgets they're going for. But as much as we like new, especially the idea of new years, um, that we're, uh, well, we're still getting to to think about. You know, we, um, nobody liked 2020, so we all were hoping for the new year in 2021, and then no one liked 2021, so, We're all hoping for something new in 2022. But some days, life feels anything but. Maybe you don't move quite as fast as you did 10 years ago. Maybe you're getting all the more uh, frequent at your doctor's office than you were 10 years ago. Maybe you look in the mirror and, and just think, I could really use some new. Could there be a time when we beg God for new, maybe even groveling for new, that God shows up? John, the apostle John, had about as much old as he could possibly handle. He had been um, exiled to the island of Patmos um, after Jesus had been, had been um, crucified and raised and he gets in trouble for preaching the gospel, so they exile him off to, to Patmos. Pat and it's there that God shares anew, that gives a hope beyond words. It comes out of probably my favorite passage. Um, this is um, near and dear to my heart because this is the first passage I ever preached on in, on a Sunday morning um, But the hope in this passage still rings true now uh, 16 years after I preached that sermon at Downer's Grove. It comes from John. uh, Yes, it does come from John. From Revelation 21, verses one through six. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. John says, God is and always has been in the business of making things new. From the nastiest sinner we see in Paul's life to the heavens and the earth, celestial new. We see the first part, um, recreating people in that assurance of pardon that I, I love using Per exactly why I did it this week, out of Second Corinthians five seventeen. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. In and through Jesus, God recreates us, but not just us. As we see in um in verse five. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he wrote, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. All things new. Even after the heavens and the earth, God keeps up his new creation business. That verb in make new, in recreate, it's a present tense. So it's constantly, everything in heaven is constantly being made new. And beyond the idea of just, it's hot off the shelves, and there's novelty, and, and the, the newest and the latest, greatest, um, shiny thing. You know, there's something certainly uh, novel, uh, attractive about novel. That, that brand new, the shiny, the sparkly. But the Greek has two words for new. And they have some distinction in there. And that's why I'm going to get uh, a little bit of my geek on here. We have Neos and Kinos. I promise there won't be a test. Neos is that, that novel, that hot off the shelves, the latest in Greece, hasn't been around for very long. Maybe it's the car with low mileage or something that, you know, the, the newest iteration of phones or computers or cars And we can like that, understandably. Um, As a a geek, sometimes I have to fight the temptation to to want the newest, latest, and greatest. Um, Novelty has its place. But sometimes, eventually, the new wears off. And um, maybe it's like last year's Christmas present, or last month's Christmas present that's already collecting dust. And that that new just kind of wears off. But that other word, kynos, goes further. I'm going to see if I can make up for my uh, contacts and hair dye illustration last week um, with this one. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how this goes. But have you ever heard somebody say to their spouse, somebody who's been married for a long time, I love you more today, 30 years later than when I first met you. How in the world does that psychologically work? How, do, how does, you know, new love, love at first sight, you think that's gonna be the euphoria, the, um, the utopia, the, um, as good as it gets. But maybe you've seen it, maybe you've even been willing to say it yourself, that an old friend, um, a spouse that you've known for decades, um, that you end up loving them more as time goes on. Maybe you have um, a favorite (coughs) a favorite book that you've read uh, a bunch of times or your favorite Bible story. Uh, I guess I didn't say this in in this crowd that might work. Maybe you've read that passage a thousand times but the thousand and one time you pick up something you never saw before. That's kinos. It's it's new, independent of chronology. New um, that even though it's, I've read this passage a thousand times, even though I've known this person for 20 years, there can still be new. And that is the kind of new that God is constantly creating. The new Jerusalem is getting brighter and brighter with each day of eternity. But there's not just new on a cosmic scale, the, the heavens and the earth being made new. But God will recreate our physical beings. Maybe this is the, the one, the, the idea we finally look forward to. Yeah, great, God, you can recreate the heavens and the earth. Give me a new body. Continuing to make all things new. Now, this is a, pl- a place where um, a lot of the Greeks that, Paul argued with, I believe, got it wrong, because they were ones who wanted to take, who wanted to to understand heaven or utopia or you know whatever, um, however they would term that afterlife place of bliss. They wanted it to be a spiritual realm with no bodies, because they thought the body was um, to be you know good riddance with with. Skin and system and and all this this kind of of stuff. Um, We want to be done with the body. The body is corrupt. But I believe that God put just as much love and just as much creativity into creating the physical body as he does the new heaven and the new earth. We see it in the the creation account. The what the care that God puts into it, saying, when he created Adam, this is not just good, but very good. That God put just as much thought into the body as he did creating the soul. So where do I get the idea that the physical will be recreated? It comes out of verse four. He, God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. This is one of those, um, one of those verses that geeks like me love absolutely straining the brain to, to wrap our heads around. That idea of um, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain or sorrow. It, it often comes up when we, we look at the idea of um, God recreating the physical beings. Is it going to be brand spanking new or is it going to be what we have and what we know now upgraded and um, all the, the things that we think should have been different kind of being um, made better? Well, the truth is, I don't know. Uh, people make arguments on both sides. Um, I will say that I do believe this. It'll be good, whatever God has in mind. I and mean, imagine all that ails the human body, gone. All the hurt and the ache and the pain that has us going into the doctors, gone. All those XYZ joint replacement surgeries The need for them gone. Sorry to all you chiropractors and and, uh, orthopedic surgeons, Uh, you're going to be out of work. All of that put into the proverbial sea of chaos and gone. I believe we can extrapolate that idea further. That's not just uh, that, John's not giving us a comprehensive list of. The things that are gone. But it can include no more sin, no more suffering, no more deceit, no more hate, no more evil, no more trials. All these things that make the fallen world, the fallen world, gone. Now, knowing only a fallen world, um, maybe it's a fault of mine, but I have only lived on planet Earth. Um, I've not been like Paul where I've been you know, taken up to get to see the third heaven or something like that. I often look at this and, and try and make sense of it in terms of Paul's writing in Philippians 4, 13, when he says, I can do all things through, through him who strengthens me. Here's the thing. When it comes to all these no's, all these God's, it's not that we're gaining strength to endure through trials. It's that in heaven, there's no more trials to endure. How's that for a new thought? How is it, let me back up a little bit to say, how is it that this isn't pie in the sky thinking? How is it that, you know, last week I, talk, I warned about the idea of um, what happens when we cherry pick the traits, the characteristics of God and basically create our own God, and, which is the Bible calls idolatry, um, not good stuff, how is it that I can say that I'm not doing that here, that I'm not just cherry-picking what I like about heaven because I like this idea of no more mourning and crying and pain. One truth, God is present in heaven. We see it in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. So John gets to see the place where God dwells with his people, where God has a relationship and intimacy on par with how it was in the Garden of Eden before sin came and... Uh, botched up the whole picture. One writer says, the new creation recalls the goodness of the first creation before sin marred it, before sin got in the way and messed things up. And John sees a glory which acts like the sun for the new Jerusalem, um, only brighter. Says a little bit later on in verses 22 and 23, He says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need for a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Think about it. What is the temple? It's the dwelling place of God. Well, in heaven, there's no need for a physical structure as though God is going to be limited to four walls. God is universal across heaven. How could words, how could something like words describe that kind of scene? Bear in mind, John is trying, he's trying to describe the indescribable. That he is being, seeing all of this in one shot, probably overwhelmed. Take the image from verse two. And he tries to find words to make this work. And I saw the, new, the holy city, <coughs> the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now the cool thing was, um, the first time I got to, to preach this, um, I believe was in the midst of our engagement. And so I really wanted to hang on to this, to this illustration, to this image. But let me let you in a little bit to the, to the mind of a guy, and maybe grooms, you can um, vouch for the, for this. But on our wedding day, if a groom usually, you know, when I'm I'm doing a wedding, the groom's up here and the bride comes from the back, and the groom has probably about thirty seconds of seeing the love of his life coming down the aisle, and you would think there's so much eloquent poetry going on in their mind and all these Shakespearean images of, of thoughts and, and trying to describe how gorgeous the, their bride looks. Nope. It's pretty much just, wow. We have no words. I certainly had no words. And this may not... Um, meet the curiosity that we have to know what heaven looks like. And I get that. We want to know, um, have the visual and all that kind of stuff. At least I do. I'm a, a, a visual person. I want to see the picture. But I love John MacArthur's twist on this idea when he says we don't get to see what heaven will look like physically with our eyes, but we get to see what it'll be like Within the context of Scripture, Paul says in Ephesians two, he gives kind of a, a glimpse, of the amazement of what heaven will be like in Ephesians two. Uh, this is verses four and five, I think. And God raised us up with Him, Jesus, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places, <laughs> in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The immeasurable riches of his grace. The kind of grace that cannot be captured in words. The grace that is so infinite that finite letters just don't cover it. All of a sudden, we think of that concept of immeasurable grace, and it's like describing the glory of God with words, all of, with mere words, all of a sudden. Seems easy compared to describing grace that cannot be measured, that is beyond anything we can understand. So this week, I want you to ask yourself this question. If God has already done all of this, and uh, this would be a, uh, forgive the bit of nerdiness, but... um, I believe God sees all of time at the same time. That God looks at what happened in Revelation that he showed John and says, it's already done. From God's perspective, this is already done, even though we have not gotten there yet. If God has already pulled all this off, already done all this, what earthly struggle can you face knowing that God has prepared this for those who trust him? I'd venture to guess we might even be able to face those struggles, might even be able to face those trials with a smile. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your grace, for the fact that you, for all of eternity, have prepared this new heaven and this new earth for us who trust you. Help us to to grasp the hope in that image, in the fact that you are a God who has done this for us. Help us to face the trials of this fallen world, knowing that you have already won the victory for us. All this we pray in your name, amen.